Welcome to Noblesville First on this July 4th weekend as we worship together wherever you may be this morning. We want to take time to thank all those who have served our country, those who have protected us. We are thankful for the first responders who are always there for us in a time of need. And we especially this morning thank God for our freedoms, all the freedoms we experience. And we pray that we will join God in seeking God's justice for all persons. I invite you to please join with me in our call to worship this morning. We give thanks for our freedom to worship God. We draw near to the God who rules over all nations, and we seek to live in peace with all people. May God continue to bless our land and all the nations of the earth. pray with me. Lord God, we come again today to worship your name. We thank you for the opportunity you've given us to come before you. We ask that you bless this time of worship, that our praises would rise as a sweet perfume. As we open our hearts to you today, fill them with your love and grace, encouraging us to continue our worship out in the world through loving your creation. May all who we encounter experience your love overflowing from us. We thank you for the gift of life you've given us. We thank you for eternal life through your Son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you for the eternal and renewing grace we receive each day. We praise you, God, for you alone are good. Amen. As we come to our time of prayer this morning, 
We remember those who have special needs. We remember Katie Curtis and Nancy Rarden, who are facing surgery this week. Jim Camp, who's recovering from surgery. And Kevin Cole and Cindy Romano, who are facing health challenges. We also extend expressions of sympathy to the family of Bunny Fogelsong, who passed away earlier this week. And now if you would join me please in the call to prayer. God is mercy and grace, slow to anger and rich in love. Hear our prayers, O Lord. God is good to one and all. Hear our prayers, O Lord. God provides help for us in times of trouble. Hear our prayers, O Lord. We lift our prayers to the God of life and peace. Hear our prayers, O Lord. And now if you would join us in singing the prayer hymn, Spirit Song. I invite you to listen for God's voice in this time of silent prayer. Let us pray.
God of compassion and understanding. Our lives have been slowed down during this pandemic, and yet we struggle to hear your voice. We're distracted by the daily news and the uncertainty around us, and we forget to be still and listen. God of mystery and meaning, help us to sense your direction in our lives, that we may know your purpose for each of us. Free us from the limits set by past expectations and experiences, and keep us open to all possibilities. We pray for those who suffer from the influence of anger, jealousy, or resentment, whether it's their own or it comes to them from others. Work among us by your spirit to bring peace and contentment. We pray for your wisdom to inspire politicians, judges, lawyers, and all who form and keep our laws. Work among us by your spirit so that we may recognize injustice and create systems of fairness and trust. We pray for your healing for those who are ill, for those who are grieving, and for all who feel afraid for the future. Work among us by your spirit to renew hope and sustain us in this uncertain time. We pray for those whose workplaces are recovering from the lockdowns and economic shock of this pandemic. Give courage to those who have lost so much and creativity to those who are reorganizing their lives. Work among us by your spirit to rebuild our common life, always remembering those among us who are the most vulnerable. And now hear us as we join together in the prayer you taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I have a few announcements I'd like to share with you at this time. The online worship, we want to remind you, will always be available at 9.30 each Sunday. You can also watch it later if you're not available at this time. It'll be available on our Noblesville First Facebook page. Also, you'll find it on our website as it will be turned into a YouTube video after it is recorded. The prayer gathering will be available every Monday from 11.30 to 12. You're welcome to join here in person as they gather safe, socially distanced. We'll be praying for every prayer concern that's lifted up each week and provided to us through our various avenues. Uh, you can submit your prayers always uh, through the care at noblesofirst.com, through the app, and also through the link that's on the front page of our website. The Teeter Organic Farm now has a farm stand every Saturday from 9 to 12 a.m. The stand will be located right at the entrance to the farm, which is located at 10980 East 221st Street. Next week, Joe Moffat will be sharing a Facebook Live devotion every Tuesday, beginning at 2 p.m. each week. You'll find it from our Noblesville First Facebook page. 
Uh, and again, it will be recorded so that you can watch it later if you're not available at that time. We put together a special event on behalf of Mike Cowart. Mike Cowart has served us well here at Noblesville First for many years. And many of us have enjoyed his cooking. If you attend the First Friday luncheons or if you participate in some of the United Methodist Women's events, he's certainly been a big help with those. So we're having a Chef Mike Cowart carryout dinner on Friday, July 24th. We're going to charge $15 a plate and tips will be accepted. So we think this is a win-win opportunity. We get to enjoy Mike's cooking once again. He gets a chance to earn a little income during this COVID-19 crisis. So help us out and put that down there your calendar and you'll know that you've got the evening meal planned for that day. The Priscilla Circle now has the bags, baskets, and blessings reimagined up and online so you can start shopping online. You'll find them through our noblesofirst.com page. So there's a link on the front page for that. They have all kinds of designer bags and baskets that you'll want to check out. They'll be putting new ones up each month, so you can start shopping now, but keep checking back, because as those sell, new ones will be put together, both baskets that are great gift baskets for all kinds of themes, as well as bags that you may want to use for Christmas presents. So start your shopping now, and you'll be ahead of the game when Christmas comes. And Carol Miller would like for me to share that the grief share and divorce care will begin soon in August. So if you know someone who has lost a loved one recently, you might refer them to Carol Miller. If you know someone who's gone through a divorce, uh, refer her the same way and she'll get you connected uh, to those ministries. Uh, email cmiller at noblesofirst.com. Thank you. Good morning, Orange Express. Hey, has anyone ever seen one of these before? They come in a few different colors. What is it? Yeah, it's a highlighter, isn't it? And, and what do we use highlighters for? Well, if you're a student, maybe, this is a pretty important tool for you, especially when you get, you know, in high school and college, you might be using these a lot. But some of you might even be using them now. When we're looking through our books, we might see parts of the book that are really important that we really want to make sure we remember. So we're going to highlight those. That way, when we go back to look or study, it's going to pop out to us because it's in a different color. Now, some, some of your parents might use these too at their job. Because at your job, you may be looking over a report and you want to highlight those really important parts. Or maybe you have something you need to give to your boss, but it, it's long and it's hard to read. And you want to make sure your boss catches a certain part, so you'll highlight it for them to make sure they don't accidentally skip over it. What, what other things can we use highlighters for? I wonder. Have any of you ever seen somebody mark their Bible with a highlighter? This can be a really valuable tool as we study God's word. If you find a verse that's really meaningful to you, you can highlight it and it'll catch your attention so that you can find it again later. But you know, there's another way that we can highlight scriptures in our life where we don't even need to use these. We can memorize passages of scripture. That's like highlighting it in our mind and in our heart. This sermon series, Pastor Jerry's really been encouraging us to memorize the Ten Commandments. But you know what? We can memorize way more than just the Ten Commandments. Maybe we're feeling down, so we can remember a verse about joy. Or if we feel temptation in our life and, and we really want to resist that temptation, we can recite a verse about staying strong with God. Psalm 119, 105 says this, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Just as a highlighter helps us bring the words on a page to light, God's words can light the steps of our lives as well. 
I think that sounds like a good verse to highlight in our minds and in our hearts. What do you think? Go ahead and repeat after me. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. Let's say it one more time. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take that verse and repeat it every single day this week. And when you feel like you have it memorized up here and in here, go ahead and still repeat it, but just once a week, that should be fine. And then if you find another verse you like, try to do it with that verse too. That way we can memorize as many verses as we can. The more of God's word that we can highlight in our lives, the more you'll feel yourself walking in his light. All right, well, thank you all. I hope you have a great morning. I'm gonna turn it over to Pastor Matt now. Our stewardship moment today lifts up our preschool. The preschool staff have been working tirelessly under the direction of the preschool director, Lindsay Sheridan, to ensure that the reopening plan will be both the safest and most educationally developing option available. Lindsay and her team have put together a thorough, comprehensive plan that was also appreciated by our coronavirus task force. In the midst of this pandemic, the preschool has managed to grow in enrollment for the coming school year and we look forward to continuing to support their ministry in our community. Are you looking for a way to leave the house? Be out in the open air where you're safe from COVID-19 and can get some vitamin D along the way? Well, our opportunity to serve today is that we'd love for you to come out and volunteer at Teeter Farm. Katie reported this week that we're well on our way to donate over 10,000 servings of organic fruits and vegetables and honey to local food pantries, and the job is never-ending. Katie has developed plans to keep all our volunteers safe and socially distanced while expanding volunteer opportunities, and we'd love to have you come out and help and see how Teeter is impacting our community. If you'd like to volunteer with Teeter or any other ministry at Noblesville First, Please either contact the church office or check the opportunities to serve locations on both the website and our mobile app. And now, as we move into our time of offering, which is available online through our app or mailing a check to the church office, will you join me in asking God to bless this offering? Holy God, we now lift these gifts up to you for your kingdom's growth and expansion. Guide us and grant wisdom in using them to reach the lost, feed the hungry, and heal the sick. Help us to find the least of these in our communities and provide them with their needs and your love, God. Please bless these gifts we give to you now. Amen. Oh, beautiful, for skies for amber waves of grain, for purple mountains majesties above the fruited plain of America, America, God shed his grace on thee and crown thy good with bright.
from sea to shining sea, from the mountains to the prairies to the oceans white with foam. God bless America, my Chapter 20, verses 1 through 6. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, who brought you out of the house of slavery. You must have no other gods before me. Do not make an idol for yourself. No form of anything in the sky above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. Do not bow down to them or worship them because I, the Lord your God, am a passionate God. I punish children for their parents' sins, even to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. But I am loyal and gracious to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. Well, here's what we've learned so far during our Ten Commandments series. We've learned that the Ten Commandments were meant to be memorized. Not as a list to be checked off to ensure your place in heaven, but as a gift. The ten words, which is actually how the Hebrew is phrased, these ten words from God are intended to rest in our hearts and minds, to influence everything that we do. We learn verse 2 is considered by Orthodox Jews to be the first commandment. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. But whether we consider it the prologue to the Ten Commandments or the First Commandment, either way, it tells us that God is making a covenant with us. So the Ten Commandments are about God loving us. So it proves that New Testament passage. We love because God first loved us. Last week we learned that most today may consider themselves monotheist, but we do live with the temptation of false gods in our society every day. There are plenty of things that try to dominate our attention and our loyalty, which can take the place of God. Today's message is going to overlap a little bit from last week's because 
The commandment to have no other gods and the call to not make idols are very much related. I think we're going to find this second commandment will encourage us to take an even deeper look at our concept of God and how much we let God really be God in our life. Now you're going to find if you read very much about this subject, just do a Google search of idols in the Bible, and you'll find that the biblical writers like to poke fun at the idols. It it, it served as a contrast to the power of the God who brought them out of Egypt to the gods that surround them in the lands that they lived. You might remember the story of Jacob and his father-in-law Laban and the argument they had as, as Jacob was ready to strike out on his own. And because they kept getting put off, Jacob ended up slipping out in the middle of the night with his wife Rachel and all the other livestock that that belonged to him. Now, Rachel, who was the daughter of Laban, decided that she wanted to take something from home with her, and she took the family gods. I guess she thought there might be a good luck charm in this foreign land that she'd never been to. And they ran away in the middle of the night, but Laban catches up with them, And we find out he's more interested in recovering those idols than he is about his own daughter. And it turns out Rachel has them hidden under the saddle that she's sitting on. And when he asks to search all the belongings, she pleads the way of women, if you know what I mean. So she didn't dismount. He didn't find his gods, and Laban is foiled. Now, the purpose of that little detail, which seems rather insignificant, is the biblical writers want to point out how helpless those idols were. They didn't even have the power to cry out for Laban when he's looking for them. Well, those Israelites who received the Ten Commandments, they'd seen plenty of idols in their day in Egypt. The Egyptians regularly made graven images of their gods. And you can see even today images that are carved out in the walls of the Egypt's temples. Small statuettes of the deities were kept by people as expressions of their presence, providing a sense of security. If you go to Egypt today, you'll find in the tourist shops modern versions of these idols, eight-inch-looking cats that's the warrior goddess Basset, or similarly-sized jackals carved of stone, representing the god Anubis, who weighed the hearts of the dead to determine if they would pass on to the afterlife. They also had brilliant representations of the sun god Ra that must have impressed them. In fact, it's recorded in our scriptures that they remembered the idols of Egypt. In that story, when Moses was up on Mount Sinai, when he climbed up that mountain, the people became impatient. and They convinced Aaron, the brother of Moses, to take all their valuables, to melt the gold down and make a golden calf. And they threw a great festival for the occasion must have been some party because the noise caught God's attention and he wasn't very happy when Moses returned. Well, idols are abhorrent to God because when idols become the focal point of God's people, the creator is blended with creation. It's a constant theme of the Hebrew scriptures that maintain that Yahweh is not to be identified with nature. It is Yahweh who created all things, who sustains all things, and provides a future for all things. Other cultures with whom Israel came in contact identified the powers of the universe as gods. They worshipped the Canaanite Baals, the lords of the land. They represented powers of nature, hoping that they, with they offered the right of servants, 
would ensure good crops, fertility of the womb, and good health. Well, the God of Israel, the one we serve, showers blessings on God's people without asking. God's bounty is given to all the deserving and the undeserving. To confuse God with nature, to erase the divine fingerprint from creation and reduce the creator to a lesser functioning power is not acceptable. Another place the Bible pokes fun at these gods. The prophet Isaiah emphasizes that these are a work of human hands. Listen to this poetic phrase. Who would form a god or cast an idol that does no good? A blacksmith with his tools works it over coals and shapes it with hammers. He cuts down cedars for himself or chooses a cypress or oak, selecting from all the trees of the forest. He plants a pine and the rain makes it grow. It becomes suitable to burn for humans, so he takes some of the wood and warms himself. He kindles fire and bakes bread. He fashions a god and worships it. He makes an idol and bows down to it. Half of it he burns in the fire, and on the half that he roasts and eats meat, and he is satisfied. And the rest of it he makes into a god, into his idol. He he bows down and worships and prays to it, saying, Save me, for you are my god. He doesn't think, Half of it I burned in the fire, and I baked bread on its coals and roasted meat and ate. Should I make the rest into something detestable? Shall I bow down to a block of wood? He's feeding on ashes. His deluded mind has led him astray. He can't save himself and say, Isn't this thing in my hand a lie? Well, the point's driven home. Anything made with human hands cannot be God for us. Well, last week I shared a list of idols that were named by Harold Snyder. He's a former professor at Asbury Theological Seminary. His list in reverse order was, number seven, national security. Number six was money, riches, and wealth. Five was guns. Number four was the automobile. Number three was fame and celebrity. Number two was collegiate sports. And number one was professional sports. Well, we didn't go into detail about these potential idols, but I invited you to consider that if you get defensive when I've read any of those, maybe you might consider if you're letting any of these things take the place of God. Howard Snyder goes into detail about his rationale for selecting each of these, and then he shares five tests of idolatry, and I think these are worth considering. So when we think about what demands our attention, we should see if they're becoming an idol for us if they meet these tests. The test of time and attention. How much time and money go into this diversion and at the expense of what other things? The test of willingness to question and evaluate. Am I willing to step back and question my loyalty? Do I blindly follow this person, this ideology, this organization? Am I devoted to it without examining its beliefs and information against what I know of God? Three is the test of public signs of devotion. Devotees commonly make their devotion public through their behavior, their clothing, their emblems. These often take the form of logos or flags, caps, t-shirts, and other clothing items. 
Number four would be the test of comparative devotion with other gods and loyalties. If I evaluate my interest, my time, my use of money, the amount, intensity of my intention, what comes out on top? What's second? What's third? What's fourth? Where does Jesus rank in this list? Whatever is on top is your or my's functional God, and it's proof of polytheism. Five would be the test of ethical decision-making. What behaviors follow from my worship these extra interests? Are we ethically sensitive to the effects of that devotion? Or does it cause us to grow more and more insensitive to things that we know are not according to God? You know, this weekend's a good chance to ask that question. It's a good time to examine our loyalty to God and country. You know, I love seeing the American flag displayed in our public spaces. In a time where we seem to be divided in so many ways, Democrats versus Republicans, conservatives versus progressives, black lives matter, all lives matter, these flags should remind us we are Americans first and work towards the unity we especially need right now as we fight that coronavirus. But as we display our flags, let's also know that as Christians, Our first loyalty has to be to God. God is Lord over all nations and all people. As the scripture says, John 3.16 tells us, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him won't perish but have eternal life. God and country do not always go together. Sometimes we have to choose God over country. Whenever nationalistic impulses violate the commands of God, we serve a Jesus who also lived in a politically divided world. There were four political religious parties, you could say, at that time. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Zealots, and the Essenes. They all believed they had the right answers for the Jewish people that would bring them the freedom they wanted and desired from the Roman Empire. And Jesus made them all mad. He held them up against the standards set by God. And we should do the same no matter where that loyalty comes from. Jesus has shown us the way which provides us a guide to judge our leadership, our politics, our morals, our compassion. And that way is ultimately symbolized in the way of the cross. Sacrificial love should be at the core of everything we do and everything we believe. Well, as I said before, the first and second commandment in many ways overlap each other. When we live in a world that is predominantly monotheistic, idols and false gods can become interchangeable. But there's a subtle difference between these two that can be important for us to consider today. Notice this second commandment requires no representation of the Lord, not just other gods. It means we're prohibited from making and bowing down not only to other gods, but we also should not try to reduce our God that we worship to something that can be made in human hands or put in the box that we want to put it in. We worship the God of the universe When we talk about worshiping idols, we're describing any human tendency to make God manageable, to cut God down to size. 
To fashion an idol is an attempt to cut God down to a size that we like. To assume that God is susceptible to our control. It puts in the, in the direction of making God into our image instead of us being formed in God's image. For all too many of us, without even thinking about it, God is our color, our nationality, and favors our particular brand of religion. As I described last week, God was experienced in the burning bush that appeared to Moses. But God was not in the burning bush. God was heard on Mount Sinai. But there's nothing sacred about the mountain itself. God called for Israel to build a tabernacle, but God has experienced in the worship that occurred within it. God is, just as God is not in this sanctuary, but can be experienced through the worship and the community that we experience in this place. Deuteronomy 4, 15 through 20 shares this second commandment with more detail. And I want you to notice something at the end. I'm going to share a selection for this passage. So watch your conduct closely. Because you didn't see any form on the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb, another name for Mount Sinai, out of the very fire itself. Don't ruin everything and make an idol for yourself, a form of any image, any likeness. Don't look to the skies, to the sun, to the moon, to the stars, all the heavenly bodies, and be led astray, worshiping and serving them. The Lord your God has granted these things to all the nations who live under heaven. But the Lord took you and brought you out of that iron furnace out of Egypt so that you might be his own trusted and treasured people, which is what you are right now. Did you catch that last part? I brought you out of the iron furnace, the same kind of hot fire that would forge an idol at that time. God is suggesting here that instead of idols representing God, we need to represent God. God brought those Hebrews out of the iron furnace of Egypt, and God is calling us to represent God by re-representing God to our neighbor in love. God will only have one kind of representation on earth. One is that is close to God's very nature and power. Human beings, you and I, who are made a little lower than God, as the scripture says. We are made in God's image, and we're called as a community to live out God's dreams here on earth. In this commandment, God is trying to save us from focusing on small things and offers us a greater life that comes from serving this world as God's treasured people. And don't we need this more than ever? For several months... Our national conflicts have taken a back seat to the pandemic. There's been no sports to follow. Our cars have sat in our garages. The only famous people we paid attention to were the ones who contracted COVID-19. The idols we have paid so much homage to were rendered useless. Wasn't it good to focus on something that endures forever? Something not dependent on human efforts? As life begins to return to normal, let's not fall back into these patterns where God takes a back seat to the gods that we've fashioned for our own convenience and enjoyment. I didn't take time to explain verses 5 and 6, which go along with this commandment. But don't miss the fact that this is one of the commandments that, which comes with a promise. It declares that while there is judgment for those who insult God by making idols, 
God's grace is poured out beyond measure, far beyond this judgment, to those who let God be God in their life. As God says, I am loyal and gracious to the thousandth generation of those who love and keep my commandments. Let's pray. Lord, please fill our hearts and minds with your goodness. May our understanding of you grow to such depth that it blows away all of our prejudices, all the things that limit what you call us to be and do in this world. Pull us together as your people that we might be a true witness to others of the incredible, unconditional love you bring to all. This is our hope and prayer and this morning. Amen. May you go forth this week with the fullness of God's power and presence so that we might fully grasp the God who's the creator of the universe, the one who's redeemed all persons, and the one who is the stainer of us each and every moment of our lives. Amen. Go.